Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, um, on this morning edition of the Mr. Nice Guy, um, I have with me um, uh, entertainer, uh, burlesque performer. Um, she's an activist. Uh, she is actually she's a musician too. She just dropped her new EP. It's called Flesh. Uh, you can find it on Bandcamp. Um, uh, she's a free agent. She does uh, shows all over the city. Uh, her name is Dora Diamond. Hello, Internet people. Welcome to the show, Dora. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How are you today? I am sleepy. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> still uh, bright and early, so... Yeah, so the crack of 11. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you said you don't drink coffee. How do you wake up, typically? Um... Usually, uh, the pull of the fact that if I don't wake up and go to work, I'll lose my apartment. Oh, that helps yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's some good incentive there. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's no, like, uh, stimulants that uh, kind of give you, like, a kick to get your day going. You kind of just... That's no. the that's the the impending existential dread that, that wakes you up. Yeah, it's literally just the... Um, the harsh reality that if I don't wake up, then, you know, everything will fall apart, which yeah. is, like, really helpful. Right, yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Um, yeah, I, um, I woke up not too long ago as well, uh, but when I woke up, I listened to the new Angel Olsen album, listened to your EP, and, uh, now we're here. So, um, yeah, uh, we've been, uh, so what we talk about at Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear. There are passionate and creative minds. And um, we have been connected on social media for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, among those, including Tinder, I know. Were, did we match on we, Tinder? I think we matched on Tinder at some point. I'm like, oh yeah, I know Dora. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. I always swipe on people I know, you know. But And that's what I did too. Yep. <laughs> well, hey, um, <laughs> I, use it as, I use it as a social network in a lot of ways. Um, but... I'm thinking about deleting it soon because Same. I don't really, I use it very like sporadically mm -hmm. and it kind of stresses me out. Uh, dating, dating apps in general stress me out. I could literally sit here and do like a 45 uh, minute TED talk on, on how like detrimental dating apps are for me, but how like I'm like fully addicted to them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, for me, I think it's part of it is sort of the, uh, is the stimulation it gives me, like the swipe, uh, or like, swipe culture. Well, there's also like this very, I'm, I'm sure it's documented, but there's this like very real, like, um, it's almost Pavlovian the way, like when you get a match, there's like, your brain gives you just like, just a little taste of dopamine. Yeah. yeah so you're yeah. just like, Ooh, I, I like that. Right. So then you just keep going. Oh yeah. Uh, for me, it's like, Dating, dating apps started out as like more or less a safety measure because like for me in the dating world as a trans person, I've been like really hesitant to like put myself out there physically because mm -hmm. the world is kind of garbage to yeah. trans people. <laughs> so it's like I've been using like Tinder and Bumble and OkCupid because that's where I felt safe. Mm -hmm. But it's like I've had so many just like deeply yucky conversations with people yeah. that I'm just like, maybe I should just risk being like just fully street murdered yeah. and just like go go out once in a while. I've seen what you've shared, mm. like, and I'm fucking it is it's truly fun, it? it's truly fucking disgusting how people It is. How just how like heartless people are towards something that they don't even understand. And like And the thing is, it's not even that like not to make excuses or, you know, anything like that, but I understand how, like, safe it feels to be behind a screen mm -hmm. and how easy it is to be like, well, that's not a person, those yeah. are pixels. But it's like, it carries that weight of the entire history of people interacting with trans people. Yeah. And it's like the fact 
that like so many people just see a trans person and their brain subconsciously just immediately goes to like this is a sex object or this is like a fetish and it's like no I'm literally just a person and mm -hmm. yes I like to wear sparkly things and sing on right. stage but you know I also um, eat handfuls of fruity pebbles in my bed sometimes yeah. when yeah. I have days off like it's like I'm not I'm not a character I'm like right. I'm, like just a person of course yeah and like yeah, and I think especially like, you know, men, just, it's just, it's largely, largely men that just, uh, cis men, cis, yeah, cis men, yes, um, that kind of view, you know, that just view the world as like, um, theirs, they, yeah, men constantly feel like they can just, you know, seize anything they find as like, uh, you know, sexually palpable well and i i also think that there's a certain subconscious correlation between femininity and subjugation yeah or submissiveness yeah. Mm -hmm. like i think that as soon as someone sees a femme person they're like it's like for me like when i see someone that i'm attracted to my brain goes to oh this is a person that i can like enjoy their company, enjoy myself with. Get and, to know them. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like when it's like a... Usually cis men, although there are some trans men that could do with some deeper understanding about toxic masculinity, uh, but mostly cis men, when they see femme energies, it's less about... like... It's less about... Um, getting to know them and more about owning them or, yeah, or consuming yeah. them. And what's crazy, good segue here, that's literally what the song Flesh is about. Mm -hmm. The song Flesh is literally uh, my sort of like angsty, um, sort of screaming into the void about being a femme person and loving myself as a femme person, mm -hmm. but also being expected to be consumed. But told through the very graphic metaphor of, yeah. of physical eating. Mm -hmm. So like that's it's kind of like um not to I'm not equating myself with Margaret Atwood because that would be deeply, deeply arrogant <laughs> and conceited. Yeah. But her book, The Edible Woman, really resonated with me when I read it early mm -hmm. in like when when I was a teen and it that really inspired me to sort of like write something that had to do with the the expectation of women to be complicit in their consumption for mm -hmm. them to be okay with the fact that they are expected to be consumed mm -hmm. and consumable totally yeah um and something i find interesting about that is like um kind of how so this is kind of like where uh, sexual practices such as uh, BDSM mm. definitely play into where like submissiveness is like a uh, it's a dominant and you know subs and doms uh, you know sexual traits among in people mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of it's interesting and also very um, uh, powerful how like um, you know folks can turn like uh, negative experiences with like trauma or with being like subjugated or being, you know, uh, just being like, um, you know, objectified and fetishized. Um, they can turn those, like those negative experiences into positive consensual ones. That's um, so funny that you say that you are literally like feeding me the best segues into talking about oh my, my tracks. Oh my god, yeah. Because that's what Bad Boys is about. Yeah, yeah. Bad Boys is like, literally, I, I first, I debuted that song back in like May or June. I did it live. Mm -hmm. And it was for um, the going away show party thing of this really great drag queen who now lives in um, Minneapolis. Her name's Omega. Okay. And she's known for doing like very dark spooky drag all the time mm -hmm. and she's incredible at yeah. it um but i had been playing around with that instrumental for a while and and those and that song and i showed it to her and she was like you need to do it here but that song is literally it's it's of the same 
like thought process is flesh where it's like a very real thing that I'm like processing through a metaphor mm -hmm. and that one is very much like on the surface it's just meant to be kind of like really sexy mm -hmm. and like talking about basically femdom mm -hmm. but for me writing it it was very much about writing a piece that is like sort of playing out my own fantasy about overthrowing the patriarchy and like literally like overthrowing men <laughs> yeah right. but um spoken through a fetish which is something that i've been reduced to pretty much every day so it's like and as someone who uh, i kind of identify as like vanilla adjacent where like i'm not like you know fully immersed in a kink but like i dabble sure yeah. but I, it's not like something that i like fully identify with i would but, uh i would Identify in the same realm as vanilla you. adjacent. Yeah, yeah. but I'm glad we have a term for it. <laughs> <laughs> but so like, but things like being a dom is something that I really enjoy. And like you mentioned, it's like the sort of the taking power from situations where you didn't have it. The reclamation. Yeah, exactly. The reclamation mm -hmm. of power. And <clears throat> so that's this song was like kind of a good way for me to like express those like dom feelings whilst also being like this is something that i'm expressing it's it's hard for me to to like really delve into fetishes sometimes mm -hmm. because it just reminds me of how i am fetishized yeah so it's like it's been kind of like cathartic to be able to be like you know what fuck that i'm you know gonna be a sexy dominatrix and yeah. fully overthrow the patriarchy or we something. We love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but, Fantastic. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned the dom sub thing. And what's really crazy about BDSM that like, because <laughs> every I saw this meme recently was with uh, about um, like fake BDSM people who mm -hmm. just like want to be like tied up in rope because it looks fun and spooky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what? people who are actually like mindful and have done their research in BDSM is what you don't understand is that subs are the people who actually have the power in that relationship because BDSM is explicitly like unflinchingly about consent mm -hmm. because they understand that if you breach consent in a moment of really true like in some like in the harder BDSM like true physical vulnerability like with pain and blood and things yeah. like that mm -hmm. like you could cause serious psychological damage and or trigger some deep psychological trauma if you are not very careful with consent and with boundaries mm -hmm. so subs are actively like making themselves submissive but they're the ones who dictate what the doms do because if the sub is like ab abs like genuinely like this is not okay for me then it stops immediately mm -hmm. yeah but you know these like <laughs> these like redditors on fucking tinder that are just like tipping their fedoras being like i'm a dom i'm the joker and you're harley quinn i'm like no you're just like a spicy abuser yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah totally that's that's weird as fuck that Tender dudes are saying that. That's uh, yeah. That's just weird. Meet, I just <laughs> I did just meet a dude on on Bumble where I was just like, oh, he's cute. I like his beard. I will swipe right. And then um, I didn't read his profile, which is so hypocritical because I like very much expect people to read mine, but I didn't. And then I was like, hey, how's your day going? And <laughs> I was like, I'm doing well. Are you ready to dominate me? And I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then I looked at his profile and he was just like, I'm a submissive looking for a femdom and I'm married, but my wife is cool with it and supports me. And I was just like, party. Fascinating. Wow. Work. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, it's not, I'm not like kink shaming and I'm sure. not, not into it, but I was, it was like 1 PM yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. just like, huh? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's uh, still, you know, broad daylight. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, because, I mean, like, I'd consider myself, like, definitely, you know, I mean, 
personality-wise, um, you know, like, sexually, and just kind of, like, in my nature, like, I'm a more submissive person as well, um, and uh, it is, like, I mean, it, it is, like, a very, like, like, kind of everything you were saying, like, it is sort of, like, a powerful reclamation of, like, where you're still in control, yeah. like, when you're submissive, even though it, even though it doesn't, like, appear as such, like, when, you know, someone's, like, in third person, like, watching what's happening, but it's, like, you're still kind of, like, calling the shots because, like, this is what yeah. you find is, like, um... Well, you have to, like, yeah. for your own safety. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, that's, honestly, that speaks to a larger problem of fetishization in general, or fetishization without due diligence, mm -hmm. because, like... I'll, I'll speak through it, I'll speak of it through my own lens because that's what I'm most familiar with, but it's like, okay, so the statement, like, I am sexually attracted to transgender women, that is not a fetish, that is just you're attracted to women, right. trans or not, mm -hmm. um, but when you fetishize someone or something that, like, humans do intimately, when you fetishize it, it becomes solely about, like, your personal gratification with that concept. And when you reduce a person to a concept, you open up opportunities to, like, really damage that person or really, like, um, damage your chances of getting to know that person. They call those chasers, right? Oh, they certainly do. Yes, chasers. Um, yes, I should be um, much thinner for how many times I've had to outrun chasers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well. <laughs> just kidding. Not fat shaming myself. I'm proud to be thick with three C's. Three C's, not two. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think that, um, and kind of like also with everything that's going on right now with like um the like the the feet the female symbol being removed from the tampons oh, uh drop yes. released by always the outrage that these cis women are feeling yeah like men and women are saying, oh yeah men who literally have never had to think about a tampon or care about right. a tampon are just like yeah that's i have an opinion that's that's <laughs> wrong for sure like yeah. okay kevin and i right yeah <laughs> and like yeah and women too mm -hmm. like well turfs turf, turfs. yeah turfs right yeah, yeah. the technically women but front like they're very much like scooby doing themselves like who really did this turfs yeah it's it's like I, I, I know that, like, it speaks to, like, a larger culture of, like, so much of of society that doesn't understand, like, mm -hmm. trans people or the trans experience, and mm -hmm. they, you know, it's just, it's a concept that's still very alien and misunderstood to them, mm -hmm. but, but there's a fine line between uh, not understanding something and being an asshole. Absolutely. Because, like, you know... There's, like, for one, it's like myself, like, a cis, white, uh, mostly heterosexual man, um, I don't, like, I, this thing, like, I'll never understand, you know, what it's like to be trans, like, because, you know, I, I don't walk those shoes, I'll never understand what it's like to be black, you know, I'll never understand what it's like to be, you know, like, any part of any, like, marginalized identity that, you know, doesn't apply to me. Like, I'll never fully understand it, but I can still, you know, respect it. I can still do my best to learn. I can I can listen. That's the key, is and, empathy and listening. Right, that's all it takes, and, like... And action, eventually. And, yeah, and, and allyship, once you've, uh, once you've acquired the knowledge how to be an ally, is, like, that's when you act as such. And, like, and... You know, that, and that's the best you can do. And, like, but there's just people that are just being, just, just saying, just completely, like, outrageously offensive, stupid, like, ridiculous shit about this thing. And it's like... My favorite is this idea that, like, trans people are taking things away from the cis people. 
And it's like, first of all, Becky, (laughs) they're tampons. Right. Like, how, how, like, ask yourself this. When you reach for your box of tampons, do you, like, look at it lovingly? Like, thank God there's a female symbol on this. Right. So now I know that I can use it. Are you just going to, like, look at a box of tampons and be completely, like, confused now? You're just not going to know what they are? Seriously. Like, it's, (laughs) it takes literally zero dollars to not be a dick to trans people. (laughs) Like. Right. Like, this, and this is totally, like an instance of real inclusivity actually happening. Yeah, like, on a on a big scale cuz always is like the one of the front runners of of what was once known as feminine hygiene products, but I don't know what the actual term is now that there is actual like trans men and like non-binary inclusion there. But yeah, they're like they're the the Amazon of yeah, of yeah. tampons for sure. Like yeah, like it's which is a phrase that I don't think I've ever had to say before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not something that you know you uh, you, you think been, you ever have to. I've never been. Also, I I did not know that in some point in my life that I would be like voraciously defending tampon packaging because that never seemed like something that was a big deal. But right. guess it is. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like, um, and like the fi- like, it's what also kind of outrages me about the whole thing about how people are just being assholes about it, and they're just not. It's just either they're being willfully ignorant about like what this means, you know, which, or they're just, or they just don't understand the significance of it, and, and they don't care to learn. Yeah, and they're just being like you know very close-minded about it. Mm-hmm. What annoys me is the fact that like a lot of these people claim they stand for you know LGBTQ plus rights. You know, like they yeah. they claim that they you know oh yeah I support trans rights, but then once something actually happens to benefit the trans community, the or the non-binary community. Like, they're like, oh, what? Oh, my God. Like, this is so stupid. This is ridiculous. I'm like, it's like, okay, well, if you claim that, you you know, you support rights so much, then you'd actually, like, stand behind something that actually benefits them rather than when it only benefits you to, like, actually to to stand by that. And I think the, the deeper problem here is that there's this really toxic idea that to include other people in a thing means that you must now be excluded. Right. The, the idea that inclusion is exclusive, mm-hmm. which it's right there in the title. Right. It's like, it's literally just like, there's a, there's like this meme floating around where it's just like equal rights for me does not mean less rights for you. Exactly. This isn't pie. Right. And I like that analogy because it's, it's, comical but poignant like there is it there's not a finite amount of inclusion like no one is hurting anybody by making the world more accessible to people who do not hold the status quo Mm -hmm. historically yeah and also like especially like with this specific example like the tampon packaging like did you even fucking know that there was a female symbol on that tampon box before this controversy. Like, I I mean, I I don't use tampons, but like on the grand, in the grand scheme of things, why are you mad? Like what, what I think what this speaks to is more of just the general, uh, hesitancy to accept change. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I get it. Change is hard, and it's really hard to say things without offending someone. Um, but I, I have some cosmic wisdom for you. Just because you offend someone once with something you say doesn't mean that you're canceled forever. Right. Like, there are a lot of people who have said really dumb things, but then, through the magic of their own brain, learn new information, mm-hmm. apply that new information, 
and then become happier because now they know more and can navigate their world more because they know more things. Exactly. It's like, I, and I'll be the first to admit, I have a lot to work on with my allyship. I am not a perfect ally. There are no perfect allies, especially if you're any part of the status quo. Yes, I am trans, but I am white. I am a white woman. And like, I have a lot of privilege attached to that, and there's a lot of times where my privilege stands in the way of my activism. Mm -hmm. And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit that. That is something that I'm very much trying to work on. Um, there are times where I need to be a lot more physically present, especially for things like rallies and things, and mm -hmm. there are just points where <clears throat> I'm just scared. Like, I'm scared for my safety, I'm scared, you know, that I'll witness something terrible. But that being said, I am so excited when I get to learn new things and mm -hmm. learn how to be a better ally because yeah. then that means that, I mean, everybody wins there. Not only are you helping to understand people who are not like you, but you also get a new perspective and get something else to look, you get another lens to look at your life through. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. That's a, there's something so beautiful about listening and empathizing with people who aren't like you. No one's trying to take away your life or take away your mm -hmm. existence. They're just trying to show you theirs and right. help you <laughs> understand that like, these are human beings and mm -hmm. they're crying out because of years upon decades upon centuries of atrocities mm -hmm. and it's like it just it boggles my mind that someone hears um you know i'm trying to undo 300 years of trauma yeah. and then their first that that person the, the, their their reaction is well i think they're overreacting right and i'm like well literally any history book would disagree with you there. Mm -hmm. yeah, Sorry, I, I very much go on tangent oh, no, no, no. when that, it comes that to was, allyship. Oh, I, that was beautiful. So <laughs> thank thank you. you for sharing that, and I resonate so much with that, because I try, like, as you put it, like, there's a lot to work on depending on, you know, what communities you identify with. And, like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm like we said before, like, I'm a cis white, cis het white man. He's a cisgender. I'm a cis. Um, One of those cisgenders. I'm a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, like, I, that's something I constantly have to, like, carry with myself is that I'm going, like, when I enter a space, specifically when I enter a safe space where that is, like, um, somewhere that... Uh, members of marginalized communities like uh, find sanctuary in like when I enter that space like you know I have to be careful not to like you know not to feel like I'm imposing I have to feel like I'm not you know dominating the space I you have, have to, to be aware of the space you right I have to yeah exactly like I have to there's you know something that you know we see a lot is that a lot of men, and even more to the point, white men, even more and more to the point, old white men, mm. have a lot of really strong opinions on things, and they are so quick to shut things down that don't align with their worldview. And, like, you know, everything you just said about how, like, you know, my, like, my lived experience is not, you know, the... The is, universal experience. Right, right. It's not, like, worldly applicable. Mm -hmm. Like, and, it, you know, you, as a trans woman, it's like, you you know, you've lived many things like I don't, and that's why it's like, the best thing I can do is not only to listen and learn, but also to, like, use my platform to give you a voice. That's and, a real thing. And that's what I've been trying consciously to and do. here we are. Yes, here we are. <laughs> here we are. And I've been constantly trying to, like, you know, like, I love to learn. Like, I, I didn't think that I loved to learn, like, when I was still in school, because, you know, like, uh, you know, school is not really uh, my 
best means to learn, but um, <laughs> me neither. Which I, I fully lo- got my degree. Yes, yeah, um, I, I I got my degree pretty much on a fluke. Like right, yeah. they were literally just like, well, she spent the money. She right. Might yeah. Well get, <laughs> she might as well get the exactly. BFA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Like I I coasted through, did what I had to do to get my degree, but like C's I, get degrees. Right. Yeah. I got so many C's senior year. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but like I, um, but like the best learning I've done has been my voluntary learning, you Mm -hmm. know, actually like pursuing like what I want to like be better and understand better and part and a large, a huge thing for that is now it's like, you know, now is a more important time than ever for, um, people like me to, you know, pass the mic to, uh, you know, to just sit down and not talk when I don't have something to say, like, not to talk just to, like, you know, make a point about something, especially when it's on a topic that, you know, doesn't even, like, you know, that I don't even have firsthand experience with. And, like, and, like, you know, I, and, you know, being able to, like, give this platform to so many different voices from so many different communities, so many different passions, you know, different artistries, different activists, like, has been incredibly transformative because it's like, okay, I feel like I know what I need to do now. I feel like I I have a better understanding of how to play my part, but there's still so much more for me out there that I don't understand. Sure. There's still so much more learning. You know, uh, you mentioned before that, like, there's a lot that, you know, you feel like you need to work on this mm-hmm. a fuck time. I feel like I do as sure. well. And like, but that's okay because at least I know, at least I understand. If you that, understand you know? and then work on it, then yeah. that's, that's, I mean, people are so quick to be like, well, I don't know this and that's just how it is. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you can change that. You right. can find out about it mm-hmm. or this idea of, that's another thing. This is a little bit of a hot take. Um, and I'm going to try to word this sensitively. Sure. We need to reevaluate um, cancel culture. I I agree. I agree. Um, I think that, and and I I hope I don't lose anybody when I say things like this because I fully agree that if someone does something super problematic and then like doubles down mm-hmm. or like fully like, well, that was so long ago, it doesn't right. even matter. Like, not acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that, I fully get. Right. I fully, fully get that. Mm-hmm. And I know where this comes from. It comes from, you know, literally all of human history having to like constantly make space for abusers and, you know, this, the, the patriarchy and, right. and white people yeah. and, and people who, people who have statistically and historically always had the status quo. Mm-hmm they've always had to have space and you've always been expected to make space. Right. And so now marginalized people are like, no, no more. Right. And I fully get that. And it's, you know, it happens because it's a slingshot effect. You know, you spend mm-hmm. so much time giving passes to these shit people yeah. that once it snaps back, like there's no, there's no room for it. And I get it. But I think eventually we do need to understand that when someone makes a mistake, if after that mistake, they are like, I am so sorry. Right. And it has to be a real apology. Yeah. Not a, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because yeah. that's not a real apology, that's gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, but people who are like, I did this thing, I take responsibility for this thing, and I, I am working on this thing. Mm-hmm. And then show that they are doing that. Um, and... That being said, I have not seen as much, I've not seen a lot of canceling of people who have just made one mistake. So I think that, you know, the cancel culture has a lot of merits. I think it's good that we are shutting out people who, you know, like Alex Jones. Right, yes. (laughs) Or my favorite, Milo Yiannopoulos. Who was like oh fully living God. in a cardboard box yeah, somewhere, and I, and I couldn't be happier. He lost his whole fucking I know, career. I'm so well, happy. Well, that's what happens when you uh, get um, when you get tips from neo Nazis and when you defend pedophilia. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I I've been I've been like really just it's been like a Schadenfreude keg party in my brain the whole for the whole Miley Yiannopoulos thing. For me, the moment that. I was like fully like this guy needs 
to like either die or just be cut off mm -hmm. was when he came to UWM and outed that trans Yeah, student. yeah. Um, I got a chance to talk to her, um, and I mean, he fucking ruined her life yeah. uh, with a throwaway comment that he did not care to understand the impact of. Right. I mean, he ruined her life. He, she, I think she had to move out. Yeah, she had, like she moved away to a different school. Like, I think after that point, which, you know, is a personal cause for my heart. But like, after that point, I was just like, I hope you get drawn and quartered in the streets. And he is, like, yeah. metaphorically, which is fine. So I, yeah, and like, I agree about, like, cancel culture. Because for one, one thing for me, like, kind of, you were, this definitely relates to what you're saying, is that, like, it's not a, there's no universal consensus about it. Yeah. So like, we can, like, people are still very selectively, hold, like, choosing who they hold accountable. Mm -hmm. And by human nature, that will pretty much always happen because... Yeah our emotions dictate a lot of, you know, just how we make decisions about and how we evaluate situations. But like by, and like exactly like what you're saying, if someone is an abuser, a serial abuser, yeah. if someone has hurt many people and, or if or someone just like consistently talks shit about right. like marginalized people, right. Or if someone hurts somebody in a way they can never take back mm -hmm. trauma, and they refuse to acknowledge that, then, bye. you know, bye. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, like, <laughs> like, then, like, you, you just, you don't deserve to be heard. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, you've if... Lost, you've lost the microphone. Right. But if someone, if someone, like, hurts somebody, maybe without realizing what they were doing would hurt that person, or if, you know, they, or if they realize that, you know, they were out of line... And they are choosing to do what's right and not only, like, actively apologize to that person, not only, like, actively, you know, take the steps in acknowledging that they were in the wrong and that they want to consciously get better, if it's, it's about how they respond to it. Yeah. And, and here's another part of cancel culture. Like, especially, we're going to dissect it and, and talk specifically about if you hurt someone. Um... If you hurt someone, whether or not you work on it, like, that person, it, it is your responsibility to fix it without the blessing of the person you hurt. Like, right. like, if you hurt someone and they choose to, like, cut you out of their life, them's the breaks. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, like, yeah. if after they heal a little bit, they feel like checking in on you which they shouldn't because like they don't owe you anything if you right. hurt them to that point. You're not entitled to forgiveness. Yeah. Very that. Thank you. But yeah, no. And, and <sighs> cancel culture is one of those things much like many other facets of the human existence that just, it begs scrutiny or it begs, you know, introspection. It's just something that we need to keep an eye on and, and you know, and, it, and it's hard because it's like you've got you've got people who you've known or people that you've formed relationships with and you find out later that you know they've it's it's really hard to navigate things like that when you know the person that is being canceled mm -hmm. and that's something that yeah I don't have any advice for that because I've not really been faced with that yet mm -hmm. everyone that I've you know had to cancel, I've been like, well. Yeah. It's like, I could see that. Yeah. I, so, I have. Um, I've had, I have had um, personal experiences with where um, a good friend of mine uh, was uh, publicly outed for, you know, for abusive behavior. And, mm. and like, my initial reaction was... Like, would he really do this? What's you know, the whole story. Yeah, like yeah. I, I want to understand like both sides. You know, like I want to understand like you know what, like what went down. You know, and like yeah. I and I knew like I was definitely inserting my emotional bias 
by doing that is that it's impossible. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's of course, impossible not to. Right, and and everyone who's faced with that because this guy was like literally like one of my best friends, and like when I was um, when I was confronted with that, it's like anyone who would be in that situation would be confronted with that exact yeah. mentality, and uh, and. The thing is, though, is, like, when I heard from him and, like, talked to him about it, you know, he just flat out denied any wrongdoing. Mm. And he felt like it was, you know, just a, like, he claims that it was just, like, you know, uh, an agenda to try to, like, make him look bad so this other person would look Big red flag there. Yeah. Like, it was, like, all just sort of this, um, he claimed that... You know, he denied it, and he claimed that it was all, like, a, you know, that um, it was, like, a, an agenda to, to, you know, get back at him for something. But reflecting on, but not only how he responded to it, which he didn't acknowledge it publicly, um, but also just reflecting on, like, after the fact, reflecting on his behavior, like, that had kind of been, you know that I had been around how I've seen him operate around women, how I've seen him just how he, how manipulative, like a lot of his behavior had been towards myself and our friends and just kind of just how sort of putting like kind of having like that realization of just how like, you know, how he has operated as a person sort of like, in turn, kind of, like, you know, with some time made me draw the conclusion, well, he probably did do something wrong. Mm-hmm. He probably did hurt this person. And his response kind of, and also the fact that he also fled town after he got outed, also, all kind of pointed in the direction that he probably fucked up and he's refusing to acknowledge it. And he's yeah. trying to, like, just move forward from it but the more you move forward with something or the more you attempt to yeah the more it's going to haunt you and the more it's going to continue to you know and it's just you're you're not even you're not doing yourself any favors sure Um, well and and you said move forward and it's like they're not moving forward they're just like they're just burying and and hoping that they can just trying to suppress it. it yeah and that Speaking from experience, suppression does not work. It just gives you a panic disorder later in right. your life. Yeah, suppression. Hey. Yeah, suppression <laughs> does not. It it does not uh, result in elimination of Mm-mm. of that. And so, like you know, I can you know, and I also will you know, I will totally like admit that like yeah, like in the past, you know, when I was a teenager when I was young and stupid and just being a, being a, a dude, you know, I engaged in problematic behavior. Like I, there's plenty of things that oh, very looking, looking back, I'm like, you know, I, like I was shitty or sure. like I was, you know, you know, I was being toxic, you yeah. know, I like same. Yeah. And I can say like, I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure most no. of my friends would 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 probably like or will probably you know have a lot of the same baggage, but they may not be ready to admit that. Well, yeah, and and no one no one is born a perfect ally, right? Or no one is born really, no one is born with the vocabulary to understand what allyship is, mm-hmm. and or just you know how to be a decent human in general. Right, yeah. It's like. You, especially in the society that, you know, rewards toxic behavior or covers it up or things like where we're constantly being subliminally taught that, you know, toxic masculinity is right or, you know, being manipulative or being jealous is what love is or, you know, all these really toxic things. It's like, it takes mindfulness and navigation to do that and mm-hmm. I've had to come to terms with that a lot because when I first moved here I'm originally from a really small town in northern Wisconsin sure. which is like 
super, super white, not a lot of racial diversity. It's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a very strong like native population mm-hmm. in my hometown, but even growing up, there was a lot of racism against Native American yeah. and in, or indigenous people. Right. Um, and so it's like, even though I always knew that racism was wrong, at that age, I understood racism to be the racism that I saw in history textbooks. Yeah. You don't and take it as seriously in a modern context. Or, and you don't, you don't, or I didn't, understand that racism has a lot of subtle cues. Yeah. Like, for instance, don't cancel me, but when I first moved here, I was the type of person where if I got on the bus and... I saw people of color, I would like clutch my bag. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, 19 and a small town kid and stupid. Yeah. So it's like, I fully admit that I engaged in, I mean, it's still engage in problematic behavior. Oh, yeah, we all yeah, do. Totally. Like, I, there are times that we slip up and, you know, I have to deal with the consequences of that and I have to process that and understand that, you know, our actions, whether or not we meant to do them, our actions, our impact is greater than our intent. And that's like one of the basic tenets of good allyship is that impact is greater than intent. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's hard when you're socialized a certain way. I mean, when you think about it, even though it's kind of gross for me to think about, I was socialized as a boy mm-hmm. growing up. I didn't feel at home in that socialization. Right. I didn't know why. Yeah. I did not have the vocabulary to understand why I did not feel at home in my body or my social situation. But, you know, I saw firsthand, like, boy culture and, like, even then, knowing now that I was experiencing it technically as an outsider, even when I was immersed in it, I was still like, this is right. not great. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's hard to break that cycle. It's hard to break out of that learned behavior, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're... We tend to gravitate what... Kind of going back to how people are afraid of change, people are afraid of challenging what they've been led to understand about a norm or about you You construct your reality and that's where you're safe yes exactly so getting out of that means that you have to be outside your comfort zone which is scary right and like even and you know I think that there's sort of this um, something I've like something now that I'm, I'm actually kind of having this realization as we speak but I grew up in suburban Chicago And I grew up with a lot of racial diversity, but like, you know, like I grew up, you know, around uh, black and brown folks, like, you know, from a young age, like elementary school. But, and I think that people have, I mean, to a degree, like it is true, like, you know, in in someone like, you know, in your case, like where you're from a small town, Wisconsin with not much racial diversity at all. It's like you, because it's like, it's, it's unknown to you is like when you when you are exposed to that racial diversity that like you do have like sort of like that subconscious apprehension or being uncomfortable and I feel like that's kind of that's natural that people all over the world probably face about you know any culture that isn't their own which is which is totally innate that's human nature but even even though like I grew up around like a lot of black and brown folks, like, I still had, like, internalized racism, too. You know, like, I totally, like, I still, you know, like, you know, you said that, like, you definitely, like, uh, got uncomfortable. Like, I definitely did, too, and I grew up around, you know, uh, black and brown folks. So There's a culture of fear that is sort of subliminally sold, or not even subliminally, it's, it's very much sold to the white, I mean, not majority, but Mm -hmm. like, because white people are not the majority. Right. Like, it's kind of what we're sold, and like what... It's a very white normative society, which exactly like, kind of how heteronormative society also... Cis-normative. Cis-normative, yeah, all of that. Like, 
whoever, like whichever is the demographic that you know has been granted privilege over society, mm -hmm. societal time. Like, you know, we a lot of the media is very white normative. You think mm -hmm. about a lot of like our favorite movies. You know, it's all white people. With that, our being, favorite bands, all white people. That being said, that's why I'm really excited about that sort of paradigm shift that's happening in entertainment. Yeah. I mean, especially my favorite example is Pose. Do oh, yeah. My Pose? mom loves Pose. It's <laughs> literally, I have not, I don't think since I was pre-college, I've cried as hard as there was one particular episode of Pose. And if you've seen season two of Pose, you know the episode I'm talking about, and it wrecked me. But... It is so, like, exciting to see positive, multidimensional, deeply intimate and personal representation of not only people of color, but trans and queer people of color. Um, that is something that is long, long overdue, but it's really exciting to be able to see it um, and, and witness it. Mm -hmm. um, Especially because it's the first show of its kind, where not only do you have trans and queer people of color in front of the camera, but you've got trans and queer people of color behind the camera. They're setting a precedent there that previously has not really been... It, it might have existed, but it's never been in, in the spotlight as it is now. And so I'm, I hope, I hope, I hope that I can see shift happening, mm -hmm. shifts happening yeah. in the conversations about things like race relations and relationships between trans people and cis people mm -hmm. because of this media representation. People don't understand how powerful media representation yeah, is. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's, there's this really, have you ever heard of The Celluloid Closet? No, I haven't. It's a book and it's a documentary. Um, I can't remember. I'm I'm a very bad queer right now, but I can't remember the name of the authors. There's no such. Well, I was gonna say there is. There's no such thing. I'm sure there is such thing, but <laughs> Jeffrey Star is a bad queer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because he's racist. But um, the 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 central point of the celluloid closet is to sort of lift the veil on the really toxic representation of LGBT people in movies, mostly mo Yeah, movies because it's the celluloid closet. But it's like, I'm butchering the central thesis, so please, please find the book and the movie and, and consume them because it's important. But it talks about how queer people are, are represented either as like a tragedy, a villain, someone to be pitied or feared or hated. And subtly, too. Like, um, or a joke. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, I mean, you see like, even so, like Will and Grace, yeah. like I love Will and Grace, but there's a lot of that sort of like the big, the, the flamboyant gay guy is like the jester, the fool. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's important to dissect things like that. So moving forward, you can understand how to actually represent queer people in ways that is mm -hmm. not you know, stereotypical or not or like, reductive yeah, or, yeah. Or overtly negative and yeah. and damning. Right. But yeah. yeah, like I'd say, like in my own experience, um, the only um, like the only like uh, my minority identity like I have is that I'm Jewish. Um, really? Yeah. Me too. Oh, I'm chosen. Hell yeah! Hey, shalom. Shalom. Yes, shalom. Uh, yeah, and like being as I'm. So okay, so the, like, and so like, you get it too, you know. The, disclaimer: I am what's known as ethnically Jewish. I'm not practicing, but yeah, I, same I'm though, Jewish right. on my mother's side. Yes, that's same. actually when I changed my legal name, I took my grandma's maiden name so I could sort of connect myself. Oh, to word. my Jewish heritage. Cool, cool. Yeah, like I, um, I'm like ethnically such culture culturally Jewish, but I'm very non-practicing as well. Um, Religion and I are not friends. Yeah, I I have my gripes with it, um, but you know I like there's still a lot of like you know Jews are you know one of the most persecuted groups in history and and like 
still to this to to a large degree like anti-semitism is really fucking alive and real and people a lot of people don't understand to the degree it is still like a very um it's still around the world right right. it's still very like uh powerfully um like persecuting issue um one that is you know, like, largely, like, we have a lot of intersection in groups that with, you know, like, black and brown folks, with LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. folks, like, a lot of hate groups that are out to get them are also out to get us, too, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and, like, like that's why, like, that's the power of intersectionality, and, Mm, like, bury that. And I still see a lot of, Um, there's uh, still a lot of division within the Jewish community over mm -hmm. what's real anti-Semitism, what isn't, uh, specifically when we're talking about Israel, oh, which sure. which we don't which I'm not going to get into. That's a whole other podcast. Yes, yeah. But that being said, um, there's still like a lot of uh, minimization um, that I've seen from other marginalized communities over how real anti-Semitism still is and how Jews are a minority. And that being said, also because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, key key factors here, but. You know, there's, there are, you know, a lot of Jews, including you and I, we benefit from white privilege. Yeah. Um, well, and, and... But there are Jews of color. Yeah. Well, and, and but also, like, privilege does not, like, there are a lot of people that have privilege, that even in, you know, communities of color. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there are, you know, men of color who have privilege over women of color, there are cis people of color who have privilege over trans right. people of color. So this idea that privilege is only possessed by one group and it, you know, doesn't exist anywhere else and that it completely, uh, it excludes you from being able to, you know, express your, your, your position of being in marginalized groups either. Mm. That's not the case either. You can have privilege and still be a part of a marginalized group. Oh yeah. For me, I would say that my privilege in my personal experience, my privilege has outweighed my marginalization. Um, I've not experienced a lot of like um, explicit transphobia in my daily life. Um, I've been misgendered before, but like, not like, I have not faced any real violence. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, another privilege I have is marginal, marginal passability, which is a whole other like Ted talk I could do about how gross Mm -hmm. that concept is. But the idea that I (laughs) pass for a woman, Mm -hmm. which is like, I am a woman and women look different, like all kinds of ways, but That's a whole other thing about yeah. trans women. So much to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be a whole saga. Yeah, it's like we're expected to be like a very specific flavor of woman to be like to like pass, to, to like to pass inspection. And to like, be ladylike. Yeah, I have yeah. to be like a hyper femme. Right. You know. Oh yeah. Which I I mean I am and I like being like femininity is something that I hated about myself so long that now that I love it I like really love it. Good. But. You As know. you should. You know, yeah, but it's like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege at play here with my experience and it's something that I have to navigate and navigate myself without making people who don't have that same privilege do um unsolicited emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Emotional labor is another really important thing. Don't yeah. make don't make marginalized people like explain to you why you have privilege. Like Google right. is free. Yeah. Find a minute and figure out how you need to be better. Don't expect yeah. people to people who are just trying to exist mm-hmm. and who are expected to like teach others how to let them exist. Yeah. And it's like, no, you literally just have to let them exist and figure stuff right. out for yourself. And it's like, listen to what they have to say when they choose to have something to say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, you can Google pretty much anything and, and figure it out for yourself. Which yeah. is something that people overlook very easily. It's so much, it's so, it feels so much safer to have someone tell you, but it's like, 
have some perspective. Right, like, right, Understand right. that, like, yeah. people don't owe you... And also, asking questions, too, is something that people are afraid of doing, but, like... And certain questions can be very uh, ignorant or offensive. Invasive. Invasive, yeah. But questions are often encouraged by a lot of people. Um, and uh, Or ask... If you want to ask something about allyship, um, ask someone who is not a part of that marginalized group, but who has done a lot of work on allyship. And, or look those kind of people up on the internet. Cause like, qu like questions or, sorry, or ask people that you are already really good friends with that you can like get consent for that. Like be mm -hmm. like, do you have space for me to ask a question about allyship? Are you in a place where you can comfortably hear my concerns about this? Consent is mandatory, and consent is so much bigger than just sexual consent. Like, right. you need to have consent to discuss those things because it's already so exhausting traveling or traversing the world. You're traversing your life as someone who is constantly expected to defend just being alive when you're like, I didn't ask to be alive, but I am, and I'm here, and I'm me, and I deserve to be me without having to, like, trudge through all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. So just be mindful of that. Like, ask, if you're going to ask a question that requires any sort of emotional labor, ask for consent first. Very that, yes. Um, yeah. I... Yeah, I'm just like deep in thought right now about this, <laughs> all this. But There's, this got this got really deep. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So uh, before we close out, though, I do want to talk a little bit about Brew City Bombshells Burlesque, sure. uh, the work that you're doing, uh, the organization over there. So I guess like yeah, what's so what's going on right now? Are there any events coming up? Like, uh, how did you get involved in the organization? Um. Okay. Okay. I asked like so, three questions in one. <laughs> how I got involved, it, so I, I started my performance career in Milwaukee doing drag. Mm -hmm. uh, but that drag always involved what I would consider a burlesque aesthetic. Um, I'd always been very inspired and brought a lot of joy out of the sort of vintage Hollywood showgirl sort of bombshell you know, Mamie Van Doren, mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, yeah. um, Jane Russell, these sort of like vintage silver screen goddesses, Marlena yeah. Dietrich. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, that was always sort of my aesthetic. Um, and shortly after starting my drag career, I was approached by someone who wanted to start a troupe, and that troupe it was me and my friend Raina Fire, who is another uh, burlesque performer mm. in Milwaukee. Um, we helped to form the Cream City Cabaret, and um, while I was working with them, um, the Bombshells, which at the time were calling themselves Moonlight Muse, because there was like a something happened where they had to change their name, and there was drama, but it's not important to the story. Um, they reached out to me and they were like, hey, we don't have a host right now. Would you like guest for us? And that was the first time I guested with them was when I was uh, the regular host for the, the Cream City Cabaret. And then um, what ended up happening is there was this big meeting where they were reclaiming the Bruce City Bombshells name and sort of rebranding and they asked me to come on because they liked working with me. They liked the way I hosted. Mm -hmm. And so I um, was granted the very, the honor of being sort of asked to become a bombshell. Um, and then I ended up uh, designing their new logo. And uh, now that was in 2014, 15? Sure. I should probably know that. <laughs> I'm bad at memory. A couple years ago. Yeah. A few years ago. Yeah, but so the rest is I've just been their host for I mean not their only host they've had other hosts as well and we're actually you know in the process of some of the other bombshells are interested in trying hosting and so we're going to be switching things up a bit cool, once cool. in a while yeah <laughs> awesome uh yeah uh they're uh how often are uh 
the, the shows. Events, yeah. Usually about a month apart. Okay. Um, we had two. We always do two back-to-back Halloween shows because Halloween is like the big show month. You did a company the other day, right? Friday. Oh yeah. Yeah. I work. Or Saturday. Saturday. Sure. I work there. I wasn't did manage to make it to the cryptees, but I would. I it looked awesome. It was fun. Nice. Um, yeah. The next show that we're doing is a holiday show. I don't know if I will be there because I usually, it's like around-ish Thanksgiving and sure. I'm usually up north for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be figuring that out. But that's the next show. And then I think we're taking a break until Valentine's Day. Well. Because we usually take like December and January off well, sure. just to like recharge. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to do the same thing with this show too. Yeah. Take taking January of a... off, yeah. Good. I need to, well, for one, I'm a month behind an episode uh, upload, so I need to catch up. Sure. <laughs> All right, Dora. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think we unpacked a lot today. We super did. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot. I'm going to like, go into my room and uh, do some mass reflection. Mm. Um, but, I mean, shit, these are... Uh, it's good to be like bringing light to when we're talking about privilege. We're talking about privilege. We're talking about uh, your own, uh, you know, internal, uh, like internalized um, toxicity. Mm-hmm. You have to, th- it, you know, it, we it, all it, got it. Right. It takes a lot of, a lot of really deep uh, introspection. But mm-hmm. um, so, um, Dora, what keeps you up at night? Um, usually, my addiction to technology. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um, I really try to have good sleeping habits, but then I'm like scrolling through social media and then I'm like, oh, it's 3 a.m. I should probably pass out. <laughs> yeah, right. That's real. <laughs> uh, what puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep? Um, this is going to sound so corny, but I, I just do like a little gratification or a, a gratefulness check-in with myself. Mm-hmm. Like... There's a lot of stuff in my life that I want to like make better, but there's also a lot of stuff in my life that I'm really enjoying, like like making music and mm-hmm. performing and just having that check in with myself and understanding that there are things in my life that are making me happy. Yeah, and that helps me get to sleep. That's beautiful. That and lo-fi beats to study and chill. Oh too. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, checking in with yourself uh, goes often underlooked and. Self-care is important. Right. Knowing what's going well for you, uh, you know, uh, reflecting on the different departments of your life and uh, what needs growth, what needs improvement, what you might need to change. Now but also around imposter syndrome. Yeah. Oh, snaps to that. I'm, I'm a huge sufferer. Uh, Very same. I still get... Uh, I'm still not convinced that my EP even happened. I'm still... I, I still get dreams about failing classes and flunking Me out. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a dream that I missed a test recently and I woke up and I'm like, I'm not even in school anymore. Yeah. I keep having these dreams of like, I'm just not going to class in these classes that like I'm supposed to be at and I fail them and I... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but... Cause, especially because I've been out of school for a year and a half, but... Yeah, and I've been out of school... For six years, and yeah. it still happens. Oh, God. It doesn't get better. Oh, great. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was yes. so fun. Yeah, it was great. Um, listen to Flesh uh, EP. Uh, by Out Joel. now on Bandcamp. Yes, and uh, catch a Brew City bombshells uh, burlesque show at some point. You'll get to see a little more of me. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Bye. Oh.